Do you think an emotional affair is the same as being unfaithful? Does it qualify as infidelity? If emotions become involved, can it be considered cheating or a betrayal of your partner's trust? A lot of people are talking about this now in therapy, out of therapy. And it's important to know what an emotional affair looks like. Does it feel like infidelity to the both of you? And how to tackle it head on. I'm going to discuss all of this on today's show and get a better understanding of why these happen, how to deal with them, and if they're really that big of a deal for your relationship. You're listening to the Relationship Revival Podcast with John DeBach, also known as Mr. Spirituality. That's me. I'm your host giving you insights and guidance from over 10 years in the field of this amazing journey we call romance. On this show, I go over everything you need to know about how to get into a relationship, how to get the most out of a relationship, and sometimes even how to gracefully end a relationship without pulling your hair out and going crazy. And occasionally, I'm even joined by new and old friends who are also relationship experts to bring you guidance and wisdom with new perspectives. Thanks for stopping by. So let's get into what exactly is an emotional affair and defining it. And it's a little a little bit more complicated um, because people are in different types of relationships a lot of the time than they used to be, or at least we're talking about them more openly. Now, I'll be the first to admit that my practice is composed really exclusively of people who are in a monogamous relationship, be it gay, straight, or other, it's just two people. Um, And so it's a little bit more cleanly defined in those terms. If you're in a relationship where you are allowed or even encouraged to explore other partners, then an emotional affair gets pretty messy because affairs in general get pretty messy. Um, And I say messy and that has a pejorative term. I don't want to be judging anybody who has that type of a relationship. It's not for me and it's not the clients I typically practice uh, with or have in my practice. But, um, you know, for me, I just can't wrap my head around it completely because it's so foreign to my own personal experience. But if you do have that, it's not necessarily messy. It just You know, it's well-defined, but you have to take the time to actually define it. If, however, you're in the kind of classic, normal, uh, and even that word can be loaded, but if you're in that, you know, two-people relationship where any exploration of a physical affair, of a physical, you know, sex or any kind of sexual touch is considered... Um, a violation of the relationship and is infidelity, then an emotional affair, and this is the way I define it, is an, is an emotional relationship with someone who you could have sex with. So I'm going to say that again. An emotional affair is a relationship that has some depth some feeling, some emotion to it with someone who you could and usually are interested in having sex with. So why is that an important distinction? Well, if you are in a heterosexual relationship and you're a man and you have a 
best friend who's another man and there's no possibility of having sex because there's no attraction there, then it's not really important how emotionally attached or involved you are with your friend because sex is kind of off the table. And this happens all the time. Now, if you're bisexual and there's a chance of a sexual affair happening really with whatever gender you're talking to or whoever, whatever the gender of the person is you're talking to, then emotional affairs tend to be a little bit, you know, not as quietly, quite thoroughly defined, as crisply defined. Um, and there's one other area, which is if you're in a heterosexual relationship and you have a friend of the opposite sex who you have no attraction to, then it becomes a little more difficult to have an emotional affair. I won't say impossible because people's looks change. And, you know, if if your sexuality is really well defined and you're in a moment of weakness, sometimes that personality can overcome some of the physical, you know, non-attraction over time especially. So let's go back to, we've kind of boxed out what an emotional affair isn't, all right? It's not a friendship, but if, you, if the possibility of sex is there, either strongly or even kind of murky, and that person becomes your main confidant, one of the people you talk to about your emotions, your hopes, your fears your desires, that becomes an emotional affair. And in many ways, it is more damaging to certain people than the physical affair. When is this the case? Um, Well, if someone's not particularly sexual, let's say they have trauma in their past, sexual trauma especially, one particular client comes to mind where she had sexual trauma in her past and sex was kind of a loaded topic to begin with and her husband didn't want you know excuse me did want sex much more than she did he viewed it as an emotional uh bonding part of their relationship and she didn't you know she liked sex but much much less frequently than he did physical touch was just not a love language she responded to very much uh and so for her the idea of him having an affair wasn't such a deal breaker. And in fact, they came into my practice because he had an affair. But what was bothering her wasn't the affair, it was the lying. And it was kind of an interesting conversation because she said, look, if he said he wanted to sleep with other women now and we talked about it, I'd probably be okay with it. Or if he said he wanted to do that Prior to doing it, I, pr- I probably would have said yes, but I don't like the lying. I don't like the hiding. And so with some work, we kind of got to a place where there was more transparency and they were able to continue. And in fact, they had a little bit more of an open relationship, but she had some ground to stand on in terms of her sense of security in the relationship because he was more open and transparent about it. I think for her... The reason that transparency was so necessary is because she was afraid of him having 
unemotional affair. The physical affair really didn't bother her that much. But the emotional affair became a very real threat once he was having a physical affair with somebody because there's pillow talk, there's that hiding, right? That the, When people have secrets that they keep from their partner, the people they keep those secrets with have a private relationship with them. And that's where she felt threatened. That's where the jealousy came up for her and for most people. So why do emotional affairs happen without the physical affair? And there's really a myriad of reasons why it could happen. Sometimes you just felt you just feel a sudden pull, a sudden a sudden burst of emotions towards someone new and growing that connection with that individual outside of your relationship and building that over time it starts to feel like something more than just a business relationship or a friendship or something like that. Obviously, if there's neglect in the relationship, if the person feels like they can't talk about certain subjects with you, maybe it's because you have a kind of a difficult relationship with their family and every time you bring it he brings it up or she brings it up it upsets you and so it gets frustrating and they shut down and you don't have the tools to talk about certain topics in a productive and loving and supporting manner the person might start seeking someone that they can talk to about those issues those topics right those things that keep coming up in your relationship that are essentially taboo and kind of off limits for them Another reason is people get busy. I see this happen a lot in marriages with young children. When they start focusing on raising the kids, they get tired. Right? Oftentimes it's the wife who really has all of the unspoken duties of the family. The wife has to do the laundry or at least make sure it gets done appropriately. They have to do the housework. They have to do the coordination of the pick up and drop off for school, also with the social calendars of the kids, the extracurricular activities of the kids. If one of your kids is suddenly into sports and then the next day they're into art, oftentimes the mom is the one that has to do the research on which art classes are available, what are the supplies. It's a lot, right? If there's bedtime issues, dad might come in and give a hug and kiss, but mom might be the one that actually has to prep everything. And this isn't exclusively in a situation where it's a, where one parent is a stay-at-home parent. This happens even when both parents are working. People just assume that role. Might be because they wanted to assume that role in the beginning of the relationship. They took it upon themselves to be the mother of the family and have that maternal thing. But it gets tiring. And sometimes the last thing that we want to do is have these deep emotional conversations at the end of the day when we're just spent, right? Mentally, emotionally, we're just exhausted. We have four kids and they range in age from five to 11. And just now, just now when the youngest is five, are we starting to feel like we're not in the thick of the jungle <laughs> of exhaustion. And it's it's still there, right? It's still a lot. Our kids go to school a little further away, so there's carpool to contend with, you know, but it's it's getting better. And I see it getting better. 
Um, but when you're in the thick of it and your kids are two and three and four years old and it feels like there's no end in sight and you haven't gone to a movie theater to see a movie or even gone out for a date in six months, if you neglect your partner, it feels normal. It feels like it should be expected, but it's not, right? I want you to think back to what it was like when you started dating. That person was your everything. That person told you about their dreams, their hopes, their fears, their desires, their you know, ideas of what they could maybe get into and they were your sounding board and you were usually theirs. And all that suddenly disappears, but as people we don't stop growing. That is an ever evolving part of the human experience. And without that sounding board in the bedroom, people tend to look for it in other places. They might look online. They might look at work. They might connect with an old friend or an old flame, sometimes even on Facebook. And often, if they can't find anybody, what happens is they get depressed. They get anxious. They have resentment. So really, if you aren't that person's sounding board, if you aren't meeting the emotional needs of your partner, there's not a lot of good that can come out of it. Either they're really articulate and they explain to you that they need more in a way that you can hear them. That's the best case scenario, right? Or they rely very heavily on their friends, in which case... They don't have an affair. They don't have an emotional affair. They don't have a physical affair. But you're on the outside, which is also very dangerous because if an opportunity a year or two or more down the road comes up where they can have an emotional affair or a physical affair and you've been on the outside for so long, guess what? That opportunity is going to seem more and more attractive to them. The other alternative or I should say another alternative, is they just withdraw. And I see a lot of couples, especially during COVID, what happened was people weren't fulfilling that part of their relationship with their partner. There was no emotional bond. And so what happened, because people couldn't connect and go out, they became very sad and they became depressed and they felt like they were living in a cave all by themselves. And loneliness is much more difficult to deal with when you do it around other people. Being lonely as a single person is 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 bad. I'm not going to say it's not bad. I mean, being alone is extremely dangerous for your health. But it's it makes sense on a logical level. I'm alone, therefore I'm lonely. It it connects, it tracks. When you feel alone inside of a relationship, that compounds the effect of loneliness. When you get in a fight with your partner and you're sitting there in your bed, but you can't talk to them and you feel the tension in the air and you feel like you have nowhere to go, that loneliness to me, and it's obviously an opinion, but to me, that's much more difficult to to grapple with. And so people get resentful inside. And resentment, if you're a fan of the Gottman Institute or the Gottman Method, is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's one of the four things that will cause separation or divorce over time. 
So either the person talks to you about it and then you have this awkward conversation where you need to work it out. Again, best case scenario. They put you on the outside, in which case if an affair comes up and suddenly presents itself as an opportunity, they might jump on it because, or or jump on it might be the wrong way to phrase it. They might not be able to resist it because it's so juicy, it's so tempting, and it fills such a void in their life. Or they get resentful. Obviously, the other possibility is they have the affair. They have the emotional affair. They might have the physical affair. But people need to express. They need to share. Part of the reason we get married, part of the reason we pair up as humans, isn't. it's, it's not just for procreation. It's not just to fill the physical need. We often are attracted to people who have a slightly different worldview than us. In an ideal partnership, your values are the same or very similar, right? Your life values, what you hold most important in your life, maybe second, third. Those values are very similar between you and your partner. But the lens that you look through the world with is different. Nobody wants to marry themselves except maybe a narcissist. Right? Most people want to marry someone who has a slightly different viewpoint of the world. If you have a different view, but similar values, that's an amazingly powerful relationship because you'll be able to talk about things and the way you see things, and you won't have to negotiate the value part, right? If you both put your family first and there's a struggle at work, you, that's, you don't even have to bring it up. It just assume that the family comes first. So now how do we deal with the issue or the challenge or the opportunity that's come up? Well, you'll think about it differently than your partner. One of you might be more ambitious. One of you might be more optimistic or pessimistic. That's the beauty of having an intimate relationship. And when you can't get that from your partner, when you can't get that emotional feedback loop, of the way you're experiencing the world, you're going to want to explore where you can. And that's when emotional affairs start to happen, typically. Now, some people might not even be looking for it, right? Some people might just be walking through their day at work and it just bumps into them someone who is so charming and has a sense of humor that's super attractive, and they happen to be in a space where they also have room for someone to connect with them emotionally. Because it really does take two. If the person you're trying to have an emotional affair with doesn't have room in their mind or in their heart for someone to be so emotionally attached to them, it won't happen. So both people need a void. It doesn't have to be this huge gaping hole in your heart. It could be a small void, but both people do need to have it. So what are the best ways to avoid an emotional affair? Well, it should be obvious. Have a deep emotional relationship with your partner. If you feel like you're missing that part of your relationship, you need to work on that. That is a crucial element. And the second thing is to make it so juicy and so attractive and such a great part of your life that when someone else wants to have that with you, it feels like a violation. Thankfully, I'm in a place in my marriage and kind of have always been a pla in a place in my marriage where 
that's the way I feel. If I were to ever talk to another woman about my family, it has to be on a somewhat surface cursory level. You know, I'm not going to talk about my sexual desires. I'm not going to talk about my goals for life and what I want without bringing up my wife because it became such a part of who I am. And it sends signals. I mean, when I talk to other women, it's it, it's kind of, I don't have to do it intentionally or consciously. It just comes off very clearly that I'm committed because I am. If you find yourself in a relationship that is suffering from either an emotional affair or even defining the boundaries of what an emotional affair is, then you need to have a talk with your partner and you need to come to an understanding of what's missing from the relationship and how can you get it for them. It might not be that you can fulfill everything. I mean, it's never been more difficult to be somebody's husband or wife than it is today. You have to fulfill the role of the confidant, the sexual partner. Oftentimes you're sharing financial resources. It's you've you kind of ticked the box of so many different roles today that you didn't used to. So if there's a possibility to get some of that from a friend or a therapist or a counselor or a community, then that's okay. But defining what would step over the line for you so that there's clarity in the relationship is key. When we talk to people on this podcast who are practicing ethical non-monogamy, one of the things that is kind of a recurring theme is that most of them started in monogamous relationships because that's what most people are taught. But they don't want to go back to a relationship where the monogamy was just assumed. A lot of them say, I could be monogamous again, you know, if, if it's just about sexuality and emotions, but I'm not going to do it with a partner who's not going to want to define what that looks like. And so oftentimes clarity in your relationship is one of the things that's missing the most. And that's what leads to emotional affairs more than anything. Yes, you need to have that void in your heart. Yes, there needs to be opportunity. But the lack of clarity is what drives people to fall into it. Nobody goes out of their way searching, at least in my experience, for an emotional affair. That's something that kind of happens. A lot of people laugh when, you, when, when they hear people say, I had an affair, it was an accident. Well, a physical affair has really clear signs. When skin touches skin, when someone puts their hand on your shoulders, when there's physical touch, when there's nudity, when, when there's, you know, certain physical acts have very, very clear boundaries. Emotions don't. At least not clear boundaries that everyone agrees on. So talking about what it would feel like with your partner, talking about what betrayal looks like is something I think everyone should do. And if you need a neutral third party to help kind of guide you through that talk, then you should see a couples counselor or a therapist or someone that you trust 
who can help you navigate through that difficult conversation. If you're interested in learning how to get the absolute most out of your romantic relationships, then you're in luck because I have put together a free workshop or masterclass, if you will, about three secrets that people in happy relationships have discovered. You can view the workshop at mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. Again, it's completely free. Just go there and watch it. It'll help you on your journey, give you some wisdom, some things to think about. The website again is mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. That's mrspirituality.com slash the number three, the word secrets. It's all yours. Enjoy. Enjoy.